strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, here we go. Rock on. We're here. Varun, my friend, how are you? What's up? I am great. How are you doing? Who do we have today? Oh, well, before I even say that, I just have to say for folks watching on the YouTube channel, Varun sporting our new t-shirts and they look awesome. And I cannot wait to get mine next week. (laughs) So nothing like some good merch. Um, So today, today's guest is a uh, Black Hawk Army helicopter pilot. He has beaten 1400 plus Candy Crush levels. He's a fan of the Oxford comma. Um, saying more with less. He recently published the largest independent RV magazine in the world, iHeartRVing.com, and we will get into that as part of our conversation today. He is the CMO of Very Real Help, which is another business that we'll get into a little bit later today. He is the founder, CEO, and chief strategist of Alpha Alpha Echo Agency, Mark Acton. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. And uh, where do I get one of those t-shirts, by the way? <laughs> well, uh, we'll hook you up. <laughs> really should be, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, while I want to talk about Candy Crush, well, I haven't been yeah. 1400 levels myself. We're not going to go there today because, you know, I, I feel like people can send you a little message after the fact if you want to talk about that. But that's, that's an impressive score, my friend. It is. Um, well, we start off the show every every show with a myth uh, that you would like to bust, some sort of bogus strategy, misconception that you'd like to set the record straight on. So, what do you got today? I know you've got a couple that you wanted to share, but let's let's start with uh, let's start with one for today. Yeah, I think my uh, my biggest one is the myth that agencies can't work for themselves. Um, and what I do think- you mean by that? Be more specific. Yeah, let's unpack it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. The, uh, I mean, agencies are built around service, right? It's client service, servicing clients' needs, and um, it's a service industry, obviously. Um, but the reality is, uh, so many of our agencies are curating all this wonderful talent, right? From uh, design, copy, strategy, etc. And uh, we believe at Alpha Echo Agency that there's no reason that we can't take that creative engine, which we call it, and then apply it to our own stuff. It's like, it's so many of us started out by going freelance, probably. I feel like that's probably like something that a lot of agency owners share is the idea of like striking out on your own, right? And um, it's that same idea of why should I, as an exceptional creative, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an amazing copywriter, uh, and why, and I'm working day to day at somebody else's job and I'm making them all this money, right? And so, so many of us leave the, the corporate world for that very reason. And then we go to an agency, we, we start an agency as a founder, and then we sort of lose that idea of not just, we, we think it's enough to like work for ourselves uh, from a corporate standpoint, but then we just recreate the mouse wheel uh, where we're spinning our wheels for all of these other folks and we're not generating wealth and generating revenue for ourselves 
we're only generating revenue for our clients. So help me understand a little bit. So I understand um, when you say, well, the services that you're offering, that the work that you are doing for the client, that is in turn helping you increase the revenue. When you say sure. they can't do it for themselves or they can do it for themselves, what, what do you mean? Like what type of services, what type of work that you would want to do or agencies don't think that they can do for themselves? Yeah, so, I mean, it really could be applied to so many different things. Um, Alpha Echo Agency is like pretty full service agency, right? So we do kind of soup to nuts marketing. And the idea collectively is that we're going to provide client A a service, and then that's going to build a product for them that has X amount of revenue. And the amount of revenue that they get from it is you know, a bigger portion, and then we're going to get kind of paid by the hour for our work, right? right? Well, what we're saying is, you know, if we have this creative engine that's capable of selling stuff, I mean, selling widgets, we can sell widgets for people. You can either sell widgets for other people where they get 80% of the revenue and we get 20% of the revenue, or you can sell widgets for yourself and make 100% of the revenue. I mean, we're really talking about profit versus revenue, but that's kind of the concept is like marketing is so valuable. Like, and we all know that inherently, but we just don't like kind of apply it to our own stuff. I think I agree. Oh, sorry. You I, I just, I, I just want to say, yep. I, I think I agree with the thought that every agency owner has somewhere in their head, in their planning in a big plan, big scheme that they want to be a product company. They want to build their own products or their own things. So is that what you meant when you are referring to that they can build for themselves? I just want to yeah. make sure that I get it correctly. Yeah, I think it can look like a couple of different things. So it's kind of twofold. There are two ways to accomplish this. One is to create your own product. Like you said, Varun, is uh, let's let's create a new widget and it'll be our widget and we'll sell our widgets. Um, the other way, the other model is uh, sort of revenue share or partner based. Um, there's a there's an agency in Nashville called De Dev Digital. Uh, they're kind of friends of ours, acquaintances of ours, and um, they sort of follow that model. Um, I think both of them are viable, and really the ultimate goal here is like shorten the loop between the work that we're doing and the benefit of it. Um, so I think every agency, big or small, can relate to the idea that um, you put this work out into the world and some of it just gets screwed up, man. Like we love every one of our clients, but I think, you know, in the creative industry across, across in every avenue of the creative industry, there's like some aspect of we want to be able to have the maximum influence of on our work. Right. I mean, again, that's like why many of us went freelance because we want to have that autonomy. What I'm saying is you can apply that same principle to the agency that you would apply to yourself as well. Let me follow that up then with the question I was going to ask you a minute ago. Is it a matter of priority? You know, is it a matter yeah. of, you know, I find that to be places that I've worked, it's or a run or any of the above. It's always, a, we reference a, the cobbler kid's shoes metaphor quite frequently, where they're always making beautiful shoes. Cobblers are always fixing and making beautiful shoes for everybody else, but their children right. have crap. 
Um, you know, they have the worst shoes on the block for, for yeah. example. And so, you know, early in my career, I worked for an agency. It was a teeny tiny interactive agency. And it was interesting because she, we had a, a sister company. We all sat in the same office and we would try stuff out for our sister company. It was a brand. We were promoting, you know, cooking videos and how to cooking videos. And we would try stuff out for them that would, you know, promote that brand and learn how to do it. And we'd be able to sell it to our clients. We never promoted our agency. We never yeah. used those skills to be able to. So yeah. is it, how do people, how have you found to get over that? Like, how do you guys prioritize that internally, whether it be the widget yeah. or the product or the, you know, even Great just question. the marketing of it? Great question. Uh, I use the, the phrase plumbers have the worst toilets. Oh, I like is, that one better. <laughs> same idea. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think ultimately it's like absolutely priority. And the the problem with um, sort of applying yourself to your own marketing is that it's the the link between revenue generation is is farther. Like there's a farther distance between revenue generation when you're working on your own marketing. But you're a hundred percent right. Like there's no reason that an agency's Instagram feed shouldn't be spectacular, right? Because you've got spectacular creatives just sitting around doing nothing really most of the time. Uh, that was just- What are joke. you trying to um, say over there? Yeah, <laughs> My creatives are gonna yell at me. Uh, but the point being um, when, it's, when you're marketing yourself, that takes a little more sophistication in strategy. But when you sort of turn it into revenue generation directly, uh, whether that's through a revenue share or a equity deal with a, a partner or whether it's uh, your own widget building. Um, now you're now you're connecting the dots more closely uh, to the revenue generation. And I think that's what holds a lot of especially smaller agencies back. Like when you're a small shop and you've got four, six, eight folks or whatever it is, you have to be generating revenue. So to take 10% even of a creative's bandwidth and apply it to marketing is so hard to do. It's like, you know what you're sacrificing in the product that you're supposed to be delivering for your clients. But if you can create these partnership opportunities, or again, you know, building your own widgets, now that that math checks out a little bit more easily. It's a, you know, a couple other ideas to throw out in terms of how we've, I've, we've approached that, you know, in other organizations. And then I want to kind of, want to, chat a little bit more about you guys and how you got into this and all of that. But it, it's uh, one, and I'm curious to hear your feedback. One way I've approached it is say, okay, Fridays, we're going to focus on Friday morning. We're doing stuff for ourselves, yeah. some client meetings, some calls, and you kind of reserve a slot of time where you're working mm -hmm. on, we call them passion projects and things right. like that is, is one way that I've seen it work. And, you know, another way to be able to do that. And this, depending on workloads and clients is sometimes work or sometimes doesn't. And I'd be curious to hear both of your feedback on this is, you know, we have a, it's cross-functional training in terms of like, if I have a copywriter who really wants to mm -hmm. learn design, I'm just using that as a basic example, or a copywriter who wants to learn to, to do some coding, say, okay, great. You still have to do your job. I'm going to pay you to do your full-time job in some of your free time. Why don't you, you know, and do this cross training, this coaching, we'll find some time right. in your day to be able to dedicate it. You know, it doesn't negate the work that still needs to get done, but from yeah. a career perspective, I'm happy to help and facilitate and let you leverage what's going on internally to be able to grow, which then can sure. benefit the organization. Cause usually you're having them do work for you, not client facing. 
Have, right. have you tried either of those approaches? And, and the reason yeah. I bring up the training piece is I think with the great resignation, that's an important component for all of us is how do you, you know, there's a retention model in there. Yeah, I've been looking at that great resignation uh, concept really closely too. And I think it's, I mean, it's probably going to be transformational in the business world. Um, to answer your question, I think if your, if your efforts aren't tied to compensation or employee success metrics, then they're going to fail miserably uh, because the, uh, the number of folks, uh, I mean, we have, I, I love all of our employees, of course, um, equally in their own way, just like children. Uh, but the reality of people just from a human nature standpoint is like the number of people who are so in, in, inherently driven or um, internally driven, internally motivated that are going to reach Jesse for that sort of aspirational idea of that uh, professional advancement is you know, maybe half or less, let's say. But uh, if you can, if you can, uh, if you can structure the environment in which they can grow, in which they can explore those things in a way that aligns with both company goals and personal goals. I mean, that's what we're talking about here is like aligning those two things. That's transformational. So um, you're hitting on really one of the really like ancillary benefits that might even be more important or like more, uh, more transformational for our business, which is uh, if we, on our projects, so I'll give you a specific example. For us, you mentioned the magazine we started. Uh, so in June, uh, we launched iHeart RVing Magazine. And uh, it's the largest independent RV publication in the country. We're exceptionally proud of it. And what it does is it gives those employees an outlet to do professional advancement, to try new things, to grow their skill set, but on a project that we treat like a client. So there's no disparity between our iHeart RVing projects and our you know, traditional client projects. And but what the the that sneaky benefit is and what I hope is uh, that providing benefit that is providing to our employees is that uh, what is it called the great uh, the great quit the resignation mass, yeah the great resignation what I'm what I'm expecting is that our folks are really feeling agency around it so to speak um, you know they're feeling like their work isn't being filtered through a client they're they're able to produce work that goes straight to market without being fiddled with by with by people who are less qualified than they are so it gives them this thing that they can have both you know physical logistic uh operational but also emotional ownership of that when we bring iheart rving to market that's like them man it's like their copywriting got went straight through like you know when i, I'm a, I was a copywriter by trade so like have you ever written like a great line and you're like, the client's never going to go for this? Yeah, totally. You, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but you write it anyway. Well, mm -hmm. with the magazine, it gets to market because we don't have that sort of, you know, bullshit filter yeah. of you've got to please this person in order to get, you know, get stuff. So it's a little more filtered and it gives them that emotional ownership of stuff. 
it's like our it's like my sister company example like we could build and try exactly. and, see and do yeah. and be like oh okay that works oh it's like a soup to nuts ownership of the entire yeah. process and then the payoff right. of like what are the results i feel like that's something yeah. and we actually haven't talked a lot about you know results and measurement and all of that on the podcast with agencies in particular but that actually leads me to one more question for you well we have a lot more questions we're just at the beginning of our Good. conversation perfect but um, you said something that was that caught my attention around employee success metrics. And so I uh -huh. want to go back to that for a quick minute. That's not something that we've talked about on the podcast as well, but um, you bring it up. So I'm going to ask you, you know, can you, would you be able to provide like, again, I know what that is, but for, you know, for our audience, either listening or watching just, you know, in your mind, Mark, define what that is and, and kind of walk us do you do you have them internally do you set them what does that look like can you kind of give us a little bit of a picture and we can talk about that yeah, for a minute for sure and uh, especially as it relates to agency growth I mean it's a really important question yeah. because in the early days if you've again like you've got a shop of four folks it's really easy to like look over there and say what what's he doing look over there what's she doing and it's all successful but like you know you fill the room back here up with with team members and they're all working disparate projects, now it becomes a little more challenging. Well, even remote, like let's relate it oh, to yeah, kind of the, the real world happening right now. Like yeah. if your people are sitting across the planet, you can't literally, you have to like, they have to opt in to talk to yeah. you. Right. <laughs> do you so want to do it on things... Zoom? Yes or no? <laughs> one of the things that, um, that we do is really uh, closely tie in, um, employee responsibilities with with uh success um like praise so for example um if we've got in in the traditional model all the people at the top make all the decisions right and uh you know a copywriter might produce some copy but then the vp or the director of what such and such makes the final decisions um so we're tying those um we're, we're enabling the people who are doing the actual work, number one, to make the decisions ultimately. So we have a round table, kind of a collaboration style at Alpha Echo. Um, but if it comes down to a question of a copy line and um, our creative director says, well, you know, I think I would like it to go more this way. Uh, and the person who wrote the copy says, well, here's why I decided this. Those two things being equal, we're, we're actually gonna go with the copywriter. Uh, because his success, like his job is going to succeed or fail based on his work, right? But so often the, the VP or the director of such and such is changing the work, but then we're still holding the people who produce the work accountable for the success of it. So like there's a huge disparity in, you know, the bigger the agency, the more this disparity comes in. But um, we used to have a term called FURATE, uh, it's an acronym. Are we, are we, we're like 18 and up podcast here. So can I use a, a grown you up can word? You use a bad word, you're fine. Okay, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm sure my mom's not gonna watch this. So I'm gonna use a bad word. But Earmuffs, for those who may yeah. be offended, we'll just, that's the warning, trigger warning right here. Exactly, that's right. So we call it FURATE, it's called, it stands for, well, I'll say F it up right at the end. So like you have like this, this beautiful team of creative creatives and they're producing this awesome work. And then you get right to the end and the, the, the director comes down from on high and says, no, let's change all of these things about it. And then it sucks. 
So employee metrics for us looks like number one, is the project successful? Because we're using your ideas. So they're gonna live or die based on how much the client likes them. Uh, or you know, ultimately how successful the initiative is, right? Uh, then we also do um, you know, sort of old school like goal setting. Um, we've uh, we've grown like really fast in the last year or so, and we've got um, we've we're about to come back around in one of these cycles. But um, we'd say like you know, what are you going to accomplish this year? And it's overarching goals. I'm going to increase my skills in this area. Um, so the success metrics are really tied to two things. One manageable, achievable goals that you're setting for yourself as a, as a, you know, boots on the ground, kind of a guy or girl, and then the overall success of the company also uh, more specifically in each project. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. Um, I'm, I'm trying to relate to our company. I mean, we are a little bigger than 18, but I remember when we were that small uh, at that scale, we never had any system like that where we would, like we would just focus on work, like let's just keep doing right. the work, right? It's great that you are thinking from all these angles and perspective at this level, because that helps set the process and set the foundation. Right. Um, we tried to implement recently um, a system called op um, Entrepreneur Operating System which is called EOS, which basically allows us to create an accountability chart for all the leaders, all the people in the, in the company. It starts with the top level, and then you have leaders who will have certain tasks and responsibilities for them, and then it drills down to second layer and third layer. So it's a hierarchy system, but then mm -hmm. uh, everybody has you know, stuff and tasks and responsibilities that they're supposed to do. And then you create, um, you know, a quarterly goals, like you said, like you have traditional yearly goals, but we break them into quarters. And then every mm -hmm. quarterly goal is broken down into month and then weekly check-in. And then the, the best part of that system that I really enjoyed was a scorecard. A scorecard would tell us uh, on a leadership level, it tells us how the company is doing, but also in the department level, it tells you know, how are you quantifying? How are you measuring the success of your department? And that can be dependent on, like some, some metrics could be, um, you know, your utilization, right? How many right. hours of work were you supposed to do? How many hours of billable work hours you, you actually spent? Um, you know, how many code did you push? How many, you know, certain tasks in design team did you did? How many, in, if it is QA department, then how many, you know, bugs did you resolve, you know, they're right. all aligned to a project, but at least at the end of the day, at employee level, we can track how everybody's doing, what did they accomplish at the end of the goal, at the end of the quarter. Um, so that was pretty interesting to implement. I, I wouldn't say that we successfully implemented that uh, company-wide because, um, you know, we had some cultural issues and there it's little, you know, um, we had certain challenges, but I really enjoyed the way the thought process goes behind it. And for, right. you know, I think it's a great system for 50 to 100 people, or maybe less than 100 people. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that, that's experience that I think I can share here. 
Yeah, I love that. I think the key to those systems, I mean, ultimately it's like the system is only as good as the execution, right? I would say uh, from my perspective, there's two things that make a system like that successful. Number one is, are people actually looking at it? Like that's the value of the system is that it gives you a way to quantify the numbers. But what so often happens with those systems is like, um, you forget to bring them up at the meet, you know, the weekly meeting or whatever. And it's sort of like, um, you know, I, I mentioned uh, previously in our, some of our talking that um, a client will never be more excited about your work than you are excited about your work. Similarly, an employee will never care more about a metric than you care about a metric. So like, I think like, as sort of owners or, you know, founder operators of the agency world, even managers, mid-level, high-level managers, we want to just release these metrics to the world and, and, and trust that the employees will give a crap about them. Uh, but if we're not actively bringing them up, um, then they're not going to succeed. And then the other thing, the other um, piece to that success, uh, success in those system rollouts is like, if you make it punitive, you're, you're almost uh, assured of, of uh, not having success. But if you can use it, so like all of those metrics, if you can use it as a positive reinforcement versus like, well, your, your scorecard is bad. Um, telling somebody their scorecard is bad is like, you know, demoralizing, but you celebrate. Suck. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but celebrating that and creating that culture where positive reinforcement and sandwiched with the, you know, honest feedback is, is the key. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, totally agree. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, tell us about how you got into this business. Like, why did you start agency? I mean, we know that you're a veteran. So flying helicopters and suddenly running an agency, what, what happened? Yeah, I think um, two things happened. One was like, I got tired of making money for other people. Um, again, I think that's probably a pretty common. Isn't that one of the reasons thing. we all kind of do this? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, so I, I have a, I have a, just an amazing business partner. He's, his name's also Mark, by the way, uh, we have another Mark. So we have three Marks in our <laughs> relatively small team. Uh, but I have a exceptional business partner and who is sort of the yin to my yang kind of, uh, he does development and design. I do copy and strategy. Um, we started working very closely together and just having some really big success. And the question was why, like, maybe it should just keep being a couple dudes that are good at what they do and um, we can keep picking up bigger projects. But building the agency really came about because we were passionate about developing a, the positive work environment that we wished we had. I mean, the reality is like so many agencies suck to work for in a lot of different ways and you've got good people there but I, I don't I haven't talked to a lot of people that are like yeah I love the agencies that I've worked for it's more like I like the clients or I love the work that's usually what it is like I love working in this environment it's challenging etc cetera, etc cetera. but we collectively had not experienced a positive work environment and we knew it was we, we knew it could happen and so we, we started Alpha Echo Agency really to build this um, positive work environment because work is important. Like family comes first, 100%. But to 
you, it's not like, a, it's not an all or nothing thing. It's not like family is everything and work is nothing. So like a large part of your work or your life as a human, your human existence is built around your work experience. And we just weren't finding that environment that we knew could be uh, positive in people's lives. So that's what we wanted to build. And that required adding team members and, uh, you know, building that sort of a collaboration and the table that everybody's around and all that stuff. So when you started, so you, you wanted to work for yourself. That was the motivation behind starting it. But when you started, so starting a business is not easy, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. Like, you know, how did you, like, what convinced you now is the time to start the business? This is who are we going to serve? This is the type of service we are going to sell. And these are our customers. Like how, how like, help us understand. You make that like, decision. Yeah. 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 I had, um, again, like many people probably experience, I had a, I had kind of a champion in my corner. He's also a, a business partner in Alpha Echo. As a matter of fact, um, he's, Alpha Echo is uh, based, the name Alpha Echo is based on the, um, the uh, it's called the phonetic alphabet. You might know from like nautical, like, you know, old school boat stuff, but it's in the army as well. So Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, et cetera, et cetera. So Alpha is for Acton, Mark Acton, Alpha, which makes me, you know, the literal and figurative Alpha of the company. Um, and Echo is for Elmquist. So I had a, I had a very close friend who was uh, really encouraging me along those lines. Um, he was involved in a number of businesses himself. And so he was able to sort of uh, toss us a few clients early on. And um, that was, I mean, that was one of the big things, just having that champion in my corner. So, you know, for young agency, either young agency founders or want to be founders, I would say that was one of the sort of critical aspects of my, uh, that decision was like having somebody saying, you can do this. Yeah. And, and I understand um, that you started working and focusing on startups in the beginning. Um, yeah. So what was the idea behind going after startups? How did that go? And where are you now? We're still trying to figure that specific question out. I'll tell you, it was, uh, it was an easy decision in the, in the beginning, because as I mentioned, um, our third partner, Mark, the other Mark, Mark with a K, uh, design and design and development and on copy and strategy. And so between the two of us, we had, a huge range of skill sets. And as you know, if you've worked with startups, they need all of them and they need it for pennies on the dollar. And so we were like perfectly poised for that industry. Uh, we got a couple startup clients and we just kind of knocked it out of the park with them. And they referred us to in a couple other startups. The really interesting thing is as we've grown, um, you know, that thing that they need, which is efficiency, low budgets uh, with maximum output, as we grow, there are just more things that, you know, more overhead and more things we have to pay for. So we're kind of at a point where we're examining how can we best uh, still service those uh, startup needs. We're talking about things like, um, you know, creating, maybe you've heard of the Hive method where you have sort of a, a individual dedicated team and that could be our startup team. But it has been really tough um, as we've scaled to balance those needs of startups you know, we also have sort of enterprise level clients where, you know, publicly traded companies and 
their budgets are maybe even tenfold what a startups is. So juggling that has been tough. Yeah. So you you said low low cost, high efficiency was your initial you know idea in terms of how you position yourself, but. Yeah. Um, and then slowly you graduated from that and you are now working with enterprise clients as well. How is that transitioning happening? Like, how, I mean, you mentioned that you are still figuring it out, meaning you still are trying to, and, and believe me, everybody, I think most of the agencies that we have talked to, they are also in a similar boat. So it's not, right. you know, just you, your thing. It's everybody is trying to figure out like specialization versus generalization, right. how we, you know, where we go. Um, but where have you found like, and one challenge, I mean, I, I just want to bring this up as well because starting with a low cost, high efficiency model is kind of no brainer. Like it can start quickly, easily. You can get out of client, you get popular and you are getting referrals and all that. And then suddenly you start seeing that oh my God, there is so much work. We need to start bumping up our prices. And you know, yeah. when that transition happens, how, were, how successful were you in doing that with your existing clients as well as the new clients who would come up? So um, the part where, the places where we were most successful is we, we basically staff by the client. Um, if it's, if it's um, a project, then, we, then, then that becomes a staffing mechanism. And it, I think it's just a, a, keeping all of your options open. So, um, you know, full timers, for example, the way that we did it in the early days was we based all of our full time staffing choices off of retainers. We were fortunate enough, you know, these days it's tough to get people on retainers, but we were fortunate enough to have about 80% retainer work. Oh, wow. And so our, we, nice. we, our staffing was based on retainers. If we had a project, on the other hand, um, then we explore other options. As I've mentioned, like really our heart sort of North Star thing was let's build the team. So we really did prefer to get folks in house, but um, the scaling, obviously the benefit of outsourcing or contracting is that it's a little bit easier to plus up and down, right? So if we had a big project come in the door, we would staff it through outsourced Pro, like before we would, I mean, the first choice is the folks we have on board are already are going to uh, accomplish the project. But if it was large enough that we couldn't do that, um, we didn't make any staffing changes based on those projects. Instead, we only based uh, staffing on, on retainers. And so we brought contractors on at least about half the time, probably the contractors would then end up being a full-timer, of course. So that was one of the choices we also made was like our contractor choices were made around potential future hires. Uh, but then we did also look at out, other things like outsourcing, offshoring, um, you know, freelancers, that kind of thing, where it makes that scaling possible. How did that go? Experience with offshoring? Because that's like a burning question right now. Yeah. Everybody wants to know. You know, how is I think it going for you? <laughs> it's going great. It's going great for us. We we've uh, we've um, we did a app build with Offshore, and um, the results were generally positive. Um, we've offshored uh, video work, and we've offshored um, like voiceover work, even. And I think it's like 
when we need a sharpshooter like specialist, that's when it's worked out really well for us. Or like a, you know, a certain key, like video editing. We don't need a full-time video editor, but there are, you know, tremendous options uh, that are really low cost. And again, it like, it gives us that function that we need, that specific function without sort of the risk that comes along with it. And where do you think offshore might not work for you? What do you think? Yeah, I think um, our preference has been if the project is like three months or longer, I think we personally want them to be a part of our team. Um, again, that's part cultural, like because we just like that. I mean, that's one, you know, one of the things we're passionate about. But it's also functional in that I want my director of development to be steering those long-term projects. And mm -hmm. you can only steer, you get you you can direct, but you can't really steer, if, if that makes sense. Like some of those day-to-day -day conversations are look differently if they're uh, a contractor, because ultimately. If you're offshoring a major project, um, you're really asking them to be sort of director level, probably. Um, you know, they're, you're, they're probably providing that director of development. And for some folks, that's great. Like, if you don't have a director of development, that's, that's like a no-brainer. Yes, you get the whole team, and including that leadership. In our case, we have a director of development. So I would like that long-term stuff to be handled or more day-to-day -day steered by our guy. Yeah. And has that, has that philosophy changed after COVID at all? Or is it still the same before and after? Like now it's coming to the COVID question. So trying yeah. to understand how that has changed for you. Yeah. COVID has been a real drag for companies that like really care about people because it's hard to... Um, it's just impossible. There's like competing, competing important things that you have to give somewhere. So for example, um, we, we only require two days in the office and like 30%, probably uh, roughly, probably more than that, maybe 40% of our workforce is outside of Nashville. We're located in Nashville, at Franklin, Tennessee, to be specific, it's a suburb of Nashville. And um, we only require two days in the office and um, even, you know, those days, it's only like maybe four or five folks, because like I said, you know, the rest of our team is elsewhere. And, and I would really like to have five days in the office, but I also really want people to have that work home life, work home balance. And so you can't have people in the office five days a week and still have that work home life. And that's changing for everybody. At the same time, more so than ever, it's like, enabling those distributed workforce to be successful because now the playing field is equal. It used to be right. That you have your full timers and they're like the chosen children and the, like the a team or like everybody knows each other and it's, you know, relations has relationships with each other. And then the distributed team is sort of like second class citizens, but now at best, you have folks in the office a few days a week. That, it seems like that's what mo a lot of companies are doing. And you're putting your offshore teams, you're putting your contractors sort of on a level playing field where that distributed, those pain points are the same for everybody, no matter what right. they, what sort of status they're in. Right. So, so that, that, does that change the way you are approaching 
hiring decisions going forward or because yeah. it doesn't matter like you have somebody in your office or not because they all right. want flexibility and they and if you're going outside your town or letting them work from home better work from in from the other coast maybe you know yeah um it's been it's actually um you know for us in nashville and probably worse for i can't imagine having a company five years ago in the bay area where you got to pay everybody six figures and up just to be a you know a regular schmo we like nashville has a like nashville's huge increasing i don't know if you've heard but like amazon is coming in and hiring 1300 six-figure jobs and oracle has a new hub here so all these tech jobs are like really getting hired up well, it uh, it opens up, um, you know, almost interestingly, like almost the benefit of offshoring is kind of the same as hiring somebody from like BFE Alabama or like they can do their job from wherever and their cost of living is so much higher or so much lower rather that yeah. it's really wreaking havoc on sort of the established wage, you know, set wage table. It's like people, folks, developers in Nashville are getting really good money. Yeah. Um, and but in the distributed workforce allows me to kind of go outside the national budget or the uh, national area for sure and changes my budget a little bit. I think that's going to be a particular interesting thing to watch, you know, in, in any industry, not just ours. And I feel like we could cover a whole a whole podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> on. Uh, go ahead, Varun. I know you have another burning question. Yeah, I have another question that I you know, want to ask some, um, you know, you is how do you do your pricing with your customers? Like, you know, people talk about value pricing, fixed cost pricing. What's your thought process? Like, how do you approach it? Um, we have kind of like, um, I would call it basically a sliding scale. It's definitely value-based. Um, so we, we do, we present all of our pricing in an hourly structure. So we're justifying every cost uh, at the hour level. Um, but the reality is that value-based um, pricing is, is based in reality in that enterprise healthcare company. So we created a, we, we rebranded a very large company in Nashville called Wayspring Health. Well, the new name is Wayspring Health. You can see them at wayspring.com. And um, they were previously a company called Axial Healthcare. They're enterprise level. They're, I don't know, um, tens of millions of dollars of revenue annually. And the hours that it takes to rebrand them is different, like functionally actually different than a small business. With the small business, you, you don't have to do as much competitive analysis. Um, stakeholder management is entirely different. Like when you have to present to a board and you have a board's worth of perspectives of what their logo should look like, that takes an entirely different set of uh, intermediate um, deliverables. You have more rounds of edits, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we are hourly based in our pricing, but there is a sliding scale, not just in value-based. Like it's easy to say a million dollar healthcare company should pay way more than, uh, than a startup. But if you can't justify that based on the actual thing that they're getting, then it doesn't work as well for the board because the board is going to say, like, if you give them the same service, yeah. it's not going to be successful anyway. So we're kind of in the middle of their value-based pricing is like 
a th- like I, I don't know why anybody would do it any other way. Um, and I think it's harder for small agencies to get into that mindset because when you're like struggling, you know, you got like, we got one big, we got a, we got a great lead and it's a healthcare company. Yeah. It's like, well, should I charge them $75,000 for the rebrand when I've already been like our average rebrand has been $10,000 so far. Yeah. It's so hard to make that jump and it takes like ovaries to do it or balls to do it, whichever your particular things are. But right. how about that? When they see word, yeah. it takes huspa for sure. It takes yeah. alpha-ness. There you yeah. go. That's right. Yeah. It's it's hard. It's hard to do that because you need to be really good in identifying and understanding your customers, yeah. you know, um, well what value they are putting for the work that you want you to do and getting that right. information from the client. That's, I think the biggest hurdle. I mean, nobody wants to share, you know, how much they want, do they want to spend, but right. how much, how valuable that is for you is something that requires some skills. So, um, sure. you know, so I, I agree. I mean, you need a, a good jump on, on getting that model. So I would say there's two two principles that we follow. Um, well, in addition to just Google everything, because like I can't tell you how many times I've priced a job based on like what does such and such cost, and then yeah. just you know you get a you get some results. Um, <laughs> number one, so the two really the two things is like checking enough blocks. So when you're making that leap, and this is I mean as agencies are scaling, this is probably pretty important. You don't have to check as many blocks for a small mom and pop that you do for an enterprise level healthcare company. So mom and pop company likes Varun. He says, they'd say, oh, Varun has an agency that does marketing. Would you like to do our website? You say yes. And that's mostly the end of it. Like you got to do a proposal, blah, blah, blah. But when you're going to the enterprise level, you have to, your, your presentation has to look perfect. Your, your website has to say, when people, if you go to alphaechoagency.com, you'll see a fairly simple website. Like it's stripped down, it's minimalist, very much so. It's a couple pages, but what it does is it, it says, the, the, uh, the director of marketing is gonna be convincing the VP of marketing that they wanna pick Varun's agency. And so they say, we'd like to use, what's the name of your company? Together. Together. We'd like to use Together to do our website. So they send it up their chain of command to their VP, right? So what's the VP going to do? He's going to Google you. So he gets to Together's website. What he needs to see is, does this company look like the kind of company that does our level of shit? Like, should they be, do they have the chops? Do they have the... Um, the team, do they, have they done anything like this before? And that's what they need to see. Like whether, whether your website's an eight or eight out of 10 or 10 out of 10, they just need to check that block. Same with social. So when they go to together social presence, is it there? Do you have a LinkedIn presence? If they don't, it's going to be like, well, they didn't check that block. So you just have to check these enough of these blocks for you have to check so many more of them for the big folks. And then if you do check all those blocks, then you can do the pricing appropriately. Yeah. 
I agree. That's so true. And as you get old, bigger and bigger, that becomes even more challenging because when yeah. you're bigger, you cannot be specialized on one thing. You know, then you are offering so many things and you are going after so many clients and industries. And then to your point, you know, when you are sending your website to a client in healthcare, they are looking for you on their website about healthcare work. But then right. you also want to serve the education industry because you have yeah. the skill set, you have the team. How do you address that? That you need to be, you know, more goes back to the original conversation that we had, which is how do you spend time on your own brand, you know, to the myth, you know, it's making sure that you're servicing the folks that you want to attract and bring in. Yeah. Or just make it all up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. Just manufacture everything. Just make your own. Turns out you could just make your own marketing stuff and just say, (laughs) but are you? (laughs) We, um, I think, the I think it's a it boils down to like are you enterprise level you know like we don't have to service every industry in order to say like to check that block for them that's where that's the protect that we've taken uh we've done you know some healthcare stuff and there are a few industries like healthcare where if you know about HIPAA and you you know about FDA requirements you're gonna have a leg up if you get in one time you're in uh, but ultimately, I think, again, like as we're scaling our agencies, as the as you know, smaller folks are going after the bigger fish, the bigger fish don't necessarily need to know that you've caught their particular brand of fish before. They just want to know that you're capable of it. And one of the ways that they see that is like, yeah, they've landed this other type of fish and they're just as big as we are. Um, I think that's the sort of minimum success criteria for that. As we are talking about customers, I won't, I'm curious to know what's the one thing that drives you crazy that your clients do, right? I mean, what, what frustrates you the most with the clients? I'm going to say the curse of knowledge. Uh, that's like a pretty well-established principle. I think that's a cognitive bias or something is the technical term for it. But um, we had a recent client that um, we did a video project for them and uh, it was a decent sized video project. And I thought it was looking really good. Like, you know, maybe a seven out of 10 in the editing cycle. And I thought it, with a few changes, it could have gotten probably to eight out of a 10, which is pretty good. I was pretty happy with it. And they just, they were like, they wanted to just can it. And I was like, let's dive into this a little bit because this is not computing for me. And it turned out, you know, in the conversation that we shot it in their workshop, essentially, because they didn't want to go for a big, their, their budget was small, like startups do, and they didn't want to get the studio space with the nice site wall uh, to have this, you know, this pristine environment. So we shot it in their their environment or their, their workshop, which I felt like it had this really like gritty, I mean, gritty is overstating it, but like functional feel to it like authenticity there's like an exactly it was an authentic this is where we make the stuff right which is on brand for what people are consuming these days yeah i got you i I got you (laughs) that's what i thought it turns so it turns out there were some holes on the wall and they had a 3d printer over here and it's kind of like um 
I, I don't want to throw my wife under the bus. Maybe she'll watch this too, but I don't think she would be angry if I said, it's sort of like when she looks at a photo of herself and she's like, but this little blemish or this little, my hair was out of the thing or like, and I'm like, nobody's looking at that. Like, you know, but you have this, it, this curse of knowledge that you're, you bring all of your, your luggage, your baggage with you and clients do that. And it's so many times it's their detriment. I think, you know, it's like the trust level would be so much more positive. Like that's where that trust level comes in. If you build that relationship with them, you, you know, with this particular client, I do have a really good relationship. I get along great with them. I, I, I believe that they trust me as the expert. And I said, you know, guys, and then I gave them the same analogy. I was like, I think this is what's happening. Ultimately, I don't think that they're going to love it. And so I think we probably will end up but not axing, but sort of shifting focus. But the point being like, that's the thing. It just happens over and over again so often. And um, again, not because it's a pain point for us, it's really more of a detriment to the overall product for them. Creative is such a, a creative work like that is such an animal because you're dealing people, you don't realize how emotional the decisions are. You can be yeah. as rational as you want. You can plan, you can get approvals, but they're still going to come in and have an emotional reaction to whatever it is you're showing them, whether it be copy yeah, or visuals or the combination of both. It's a, uh, it, it's talking to a lot of agency owners and, and off in the podcast and outside, you know, that world it's a, uh, the best, the best metaphor I have to explain that phenomenon too is like when you're redoing a website for somebody. So I've run marketing teams at larger organizations. And when you're head of running and building a new website, everybody's an opinion. Everybody comes yeah. by, they want to see, show me what you're working on, show me what you're doing. So I use yeah. a trick. I took all of the creative, even if it wasn't done, you know, my team was pissed, but I didn't care. Put it on my wall, my office, put it on the outside of my wall in my office. So that's, you know, it was an interesting phenomenon because when people would come by, they would give me their opinion. They wouldn't do it in a global setting. I could hear, they could bitch and moan and say, I don't like the big orange button. I don't like this. I don't like that. I'm like, great. But they feel like they've given their peace. And yeah. so then it's like, by the time we actually get the darn thing done, everybody shut up. I was like, yeah, great, good, let's go. It's, you know, I love that. Solve, it doesn't solve the problem from an agency perspective, but it helps to explain and like it, involving them in part of that process eliminates yeah. the emotional reaction you're going to get at the end. You know, it's from a client perspective, some clients would probably be more open to that versus others, you know, whether it's live editing, which is a whole can of worms for another day. Yeah. Um, you know, I have, uh, we've, we've chatted for quite a while. I want to ask you, normally I end with, I have two questions. So I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish up with one last question. As an agency owner, what is one of the biggest mistakes that you've ever made? Take a minute and think about that. You yeah, know. I think I would tie this into um, one of the other myths that I would propose. The myth being the mistake that I made, which was believing that the great work would speak for itself. I think, um, you know, we're, we're all exceptional at what we do, or we wouldn't be here in the first place, right? Nobody, no mediocre marketing person is going to successfully found a marketing agency. Um, you would be surprised. <laughs> fair point, fair point. But let's just assume that we're all exceptional at what we do. And we okay, put out we'll this, go that way. Yeah, let's just set that expectation. 
Um, we, so we put out this great work and we love it, right? We have an emotional connection to it and we, and it's, and it probably is really good. And we feel like if we just deliver it, uh, then the client's going to be wowed. And Jesse, you hit a, on a, one of the areas where we sort of address this, which is uh, giving them feedback. Like we know what looks, we know what right looks like, right? Collectively. And that's yep. for sure. And so we give them something that looks right. And we assume that they will recognize how right it is. Um, but just like our video project that I mentioned, it's like, they're going to see the little thing or they're going to feel like they didn't get heard. So one of the ways around that um, was we used, I love putting stuff on the wall, by the way, that's a great, we got our magazine, our, the magazine we produced. That was really yeah. difficult to manage. There it is. For those wall. listening, he's pointing at the oh, that's wall right. Oh, I'm so him. sorry. Yeah, no, so you're sorry. good. We do video and audio, so I'm just yeah. going to verbally describe it. So yeah, good he's point. got it up so, on the wall behind him. I do. Yeah, back then. So um, one of the things we love to do that we really reemphasize because of that is competitive analysis. It's so simple. Like, let's put some logos on a PDF and let them tell us what they like or don't like. Now, when we go back to them with edit round number one of your logo, they're gonna, emotion, they're gonna emotionally feel like they've gotten to be a part of the process. They've weighed mm -hmm. in, they've given their perspective. Jesse, you're like dead on. It's like, you don't have to allow them to, to make every choice for them to feel like they got to, they got to do their part. And, uh, but that was a mistake we made relatively often early on is like, we're in that churn of cranking out prod and we don't deliver it in a proper way and then it falls flat. I feel like that's a it's a lesson for early uh, early agency folk. I, I won't specify role because yeah. I think it applies to all of them. Is that you know one of the tricks with clients is giving them when you're giving them two options, give them the one you like and give them the one they asked for. Because right. that way they can compare the both. Don't ever don't always just give them the one they asked for. So yeah. it's, it's that little extra and they go, oh, they may Frankenstein it a little bit. Um, so be what if we take the font on number one and the like, logo on number two? Of course. But it's this idea of like involving them and in, like, people love it, whether right. or not they're good at it. They love being part of that, you know, creative development, UX, all of the things there process. Yeah. All right. So this is a, a, a two part question. So, you know, we like to ask our guests. Um, you know, as an agency owner, what keeps you up at night and mm -hmm. what do you see coming in the future? So you can answer one or both. I will give you, I will give you two options. See what I All did right. there? So the questions <laughs> are, what, what do I, what keeps night? me up at night? And um, man, you know, what you, planning for the future? What do you see yeah, coming? We had to let somebody go recently and um, it was painful. It was uh, First of all, much more painful for them. Right? There's no, no question about that. Recognized. But um, you know, personnel probably keeps me up at night. Um, getting the right people in the right places, and um, as I mentioned, sort of our north star is like that positive environment. We we try really hard, and we probably fail miserably sometimes, and hopefully succeed more than others. But um, that's that's probably what keeps me up at night. I mean, that and just the money stuff, like, um, I can't recommend highly enough for young agency or newer agency folks to get a money person. Um, we have a 
a, a bookkeeping team that like just that paying the bills and like checking the bank account balance every day, like that stuff was really hard. So those are the two things that probably keep me up at night. And then what I see coming is um, I, it's, I, I feel like there's been um, kind of a, a, a predilection towards um, cookie cutter marketing. Um, I'm thinking of specifically about like story brand. I don't know if you guys are familiar with story brand. Um, what's the, what's the guy with the shaved head who sends me like a million emails a week was, um, there's There's a story like, yeah, (laughs) I can't, I mean, I love his hair just to be specific for the people (laughs) who are on podcasts. I also have a shaved head. So, um, (laughs) but I think like we're finding, um, you know, if you just follow the story brand, uh, paradigm, then you can be successful or a click funnel is one of the other ones, right? Um, if you just follow this click funnel mechanism and you just build your funnel like all these other folks did, then you'll be successful. And um, I think that's an overgeneralization. I think they work for lots of folks. I think what I see next is um, maybe a, a move away from that. I'm also really interested in how the um, corporate political messaging happens. like totally apolitical from a messaging strategy standpoint. It's been fascinating to find so many corporations coming out and making stances of very, you know, um, very dramatic stances on a variety of issues. I'm really interested to follow that. I don't know how it's gonna shake out. I feel like there might be sort of a a move away from it, but uh, that's something I'm very interested in watching. Cool. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, This is, it's always fun to chat with folks and wonder where the conversation was going to end up. And, um, you know, there was a couple of terms in there. I was like, okay, cool. Um, But you had some, some great perspectives. So, so thank you uh, for spending some quality time with us today. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've been in the trust tree here. We've really shared some stuff. A little bit. Yeah. We've gotten, you know, we've gotten close. So, um, uh, I was going to make a really terrible joke and it kind of like vacated my head right there. Hence the awkward pause. So I'm just going to wrap it up. Um, so where people can find you on the internet is, uh, yeah. uh on LinkedIn is, uh, under your, your, yourself fast acting, um, under Instagram for your agency, Alpha Echo Agency, your company we- website, alphaechoagency.com, your company LinkedIn as well. And then I'll also plug iheartrving.com. Also, you can find you guys there too. So yeah. um, thank you so much. So that's it, everyone. If you learned something today or laugh, tell somebody about the co- podcast. Uh, see you next time. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.